Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners. No podcast? No problem. Launch a professional podcast you'll love in four weeks. Most people hire production companies to edit and distribute content that sounds bad and does nothing for their revenue or their network. But you could turn the key to a made-to-order podcast and skip all the pitfalls that make 90% of shows discontinue after five episodes. We've got the expertise, the elbow grease, and you're back on this one. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here. And today I have the privilege of hosting Greg Bolton. He's a corporate development executive with experience in the financial technology industry who has spent the last 10 years focused on payments and payment products in the healthcare space. We are going to be discussing the impact that the financial industry technology and products can have on improving healthcare delivery, knowing all of the challenges that exist and how we pay for healthcare. I think today's discussion with Greg is going to be a really interesting one. And so with that, uh, I, want to, I want to give you a, a warm welcome to the podcast, Greg. Thanks so much for joining today. Thank you so much for having me, Son. Absolutely. So you have been focused on basically how we pay for things in healthcare, Greg. What has been your inspiration to spend the time that you have in the sector? Sure. Um, so I came to the healthcare space from the financial services industry, specifically looking at payments products. So credit cards, debit cards, prepaid cards. And uh, in a lot of respects, the industries have, have a lot of similar similarities. They're obviously very critical industries and services they deliver are critical for the lives of, uh, of our members, or our customers, and inherently complicated products, complex products. But uh, in many ways, we've sort of felt like the, the financial services industry had maybe made faster inroads into bringing automation and customization to our products in the, in the financial services industry. So coming into healthcare, we're really looking for opportunities to streamline and make participating in engaging in healthcare easier for the members. So, and that sort of dovetailed with the healthcare industry really getting more deeply into consumer-directed healthcare and focusing on the members' decision-making and the role that, that plays in healthcare. And so we really saw those industries coming, being well-aligned a lot of the financial products in the healthcare space have not really been around that long. I mean, the very first tax-advantaged accounts around healthcare were in the very, very late 90s and really got going in the early 2000s. And so one of the things that we did early on was to try and attach a card to some of these tax-advantaged products and make it easier for administrators to move the money and also for the members to understand what they were spending and make it you know, reduce the amount of paperwork and manual uh, actions required for them to take advantage of those tax-advantaged accounts. Yeah, it's interesting. And you're right. There's so much that has happened in finance that, I mean, it just sped past healthcare and you know, I had, a, I had an interview several months ago with the chief medical or chief information officer at uh, Philips, and he came from Citibank, you know, all the innovations that they were taking advantage at Citibank, now they're getting leveraged by Philips and that company. And so there's a ton that we could learn from the financial industry. And so talk to us a little bit about some of those things, Greg, and, uh, and maybe how this particular approach can add value to what we're doing in healthcare. 
Well, I think some of the things that we've been engaging with a lot, of course, uh, as I mentioned, automation, and that's really almost entirely contingent on standardization. There was a lot of advantages that the financial services industry has had compared to healthcare, that there's a much higher level of standardization and the bodies mm. that would create and maintain both system rules as well as, as the legal constructs behind all that and that allowed enforcement of rules were so much stronger in the financial services area than they've been in healthcare. So in the financial services, we've had Visa and MasterCard, we've had NACHA, we've had a very prescriptive, central planning sort of function operate in financial services. And that's allowed all of the companies to code robustly, to build very robust infrastructure around a data set and communication standards that didn't have a lot of variation in them. In the healthcare space, of course, we do have HIPAA standards, but they're far looser and there's a lot more variation. There's a lot more variation in healthcare plans and there's a lot more variation in the kind of diversity of approaches across the healthcare space. And that makes it all much more difficult to approach. But overall, our approach very much has been that, is that we're going to try and create a consumer product built on a, on a mountain of technology and complexity, but try and shield that and make it seem as easy to the consumer as possible and make that decision point of essentially, you know, when the, the, the member or the consumer is at, at a point of sale, we want them to, to go into their wallet and know which, which card to bring out. We're trying to keep it as simple as that in the healthcare space. Well, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot happening here. I mean, I'm starting to see a lot of innovation around the payment models. You know, mm -hmm. I think of, you know, you talk about payment products like credit cards. I'm not sure if you've heard of a company called Sidecar Health. I don't know Sidecar. So they have basically you pay a monthly plan and they give you a credit card and you have $10,000. Well, for example, one of the plans up to $10,000 a year to cover mm -hmm. your medical expenses. You present it as a cash pay patient and you just pull from there. And, you know, just these different approaches to how we pay for healthcare are critical in a time when, hey, there's so many people that are uninsured. And how do you do it if you're not getting it through your employer? Are you basically self-employed? You know, there's just mm -hmm. so many yeah. facts. So there's, there's an opportunity here. Absolutely. And that, that approach, well, we've kind of, we're pulling together a lot of different concepts together under the, the umbrella term of mm -hmm. consumer-directed healthcare. But essentially that belief that there's just too much diversity of people's individual situations to have a one-size-fits-all when it comes to healthcare and that we're going to be better off supporting a wide range of approaches in order to handle all the different nooks and crannies of our market. The, the payments industry absolutely, I think, has a, has a lot to bring to bear to support that. So the, you know, what you described as sidecar, that's, that's a, a really interesting one. To just go ahead and start off by, from the assumption that we're going to be extending some credit to the individual, mm -hmm. and then uh, that's going to give them that sort of buttress that they need in order to handle healthcare bills. There's a lot of things that need to, to come together to make that work, though. And I'm you know, not spe speaking specifically to Sidecar, but rather to consumer-directed healthcare in general. Uh, cost transparency is generally the biggest obstacle that we encounter towards right. truly making purchase of healthcare services as easy as purchase of a financial instrument or a mortgage, et cetera. You know, something of what you would think might be comparable level of complexity 
but is in truly a much more difficult buying experience to the member. So there, there's still a lot of obstacles left to, uh, to try and address to really bring the healthcare purchasing experience on par with other consumer-directed experiences. And without that, that's where we, we struggle. And you know, no, I don't know that anybody's really found an answer to that because I think the long term, we're going to always be in a diverse marketplace unless something really wild, something not really in the cards along the, the lines of a single payer kind of overthrow of the, uh, the healthcare marketplace happens. Barring that, I think that we're going to see an environment where you have fully insured traditional healthcare models alongside cash pay models. And those could not be more different. And yet you want to try and support them with as much of the same infrastructure as possible. Yeah, no, there's some great call outs. And Greg, you know, just thinking through the different approaches, you know, what would you say makes the approach you're thinking about different or better than, than what's available today? Well, I think the, the first thing is that trying to establish that sort of locus of the relationship between a plan and a member, regardless of what kind of plan it is, whether it's uh, simply access to a network with lo- relatively limited financial support or whether it's a, a traditional plan that has a huge amount of financial support. The member needs to have sort of that relationship. And we've in the payment space, the existence of a physical card and in more recent years, augmenting that with an app on the phone where you can see all of your activity and have that conduit for messaging, notification, reminders, that creating that relationship is going to be uh, have benefits in a number of different ways. And we have worked with insurers all across the socioeconomic spectrum. And, you know, in some corners of that, it's really about, they're just struggling to have any kind of direct relationship with their member. They're trying to find out who these people are and get just the rudimentary understanding of their their uh, health situation so that they can begin to tailor some uh, some health treatment. Everything from that extreme to the opposite, where you're really trying to, where you want to be, have, you're going to have individuals that are participating in multiple treatment plans and you want to have some robust communication. All of that is on a spectrum that I think the financial relationship can help to secure and buoy. And so that then opens up the avenue toward using things that we've learned around loyalty and relationship development. Uh, gamification and some of the uh, the more modern sort of buzzwords and, and approaches to keeping members engaged and aware of the relationship that we're trying to maintain with their uh, with their health and with their health plan. Mm-hmm. And so, as we look to options like these, the ones you mentioned, to improve that experience, what would you say is the best thing that could come out of, of this approach? I think it's going to have to be a series of small steps. One of the things that, and I don't think anybody that you talk to in the, that's tried to, uh, to develop product ideas in the healthcare space will tell you that there's, it's, it's very rarely a technological obstacle. It's an implementation and adoption obstacle that if there's just so many different stakeholders in any particular transaction and that it's just about impossible to get all of them aligned around something new. It's essentially impossible. And so what we find is that we're trying to graft on incremental improvements onto an existing system. And so the government created some tax-advantaged accounts. You could set aside money pre-tax for healthcare spend. And there's been a number of these medical savings accounts, flexible spending accounts, health reimbursement arrangements, health savings accounts over a 10, 12-year period. As those accounts were rolled out, attaching those to a card, a website, an app, 
so that we can make it as easy as possible for the member to, instead of pulling out their additional card, pull out a healthcare card, go straight to their health, their tax advantaged uh, funds, and to create as much infrastructure as possible to, to reduce the need for them to have a paper receipt afterwards. Mm-hmm. Trying to make that a seamless and effortless experience for them to take advantage of their, the monies that they've set aside. That particular product requires very little of the rest of the healthcare infrastructure in order to adapt to it. We already had a copay. It was simply a matter of making sure that uh, that card was accepted. And then for the, there were some industry innovations on the payment side to allow a little bit of extra data to be sent along so that a healthcare transaction could be treated differently than a non-healthcare transaction. Those required some coordination, but they were mostly in the financial and retail space, and it worked, and it's worked great for 12, 15 years. Didn't require doctors to change the practice, didn't require front office or the back office to make changes, and it didn't require the plans to make any changes. So this one kind of worked, and it went out the door. There are a lot of really interesting and very exciting opportunities that are very hard to get going because they require more participation. We've talked about eligibility platforms that could work better at the point of sale to identify a copay and go ahead and clear the entire transaction. But really, the rest of the healthcare infrastructure is not set up that way. We uh, we adjudicate a a claim long after the, uh, the member has left the position. And as long as that's the case, it's always going to be an obstacle for to hit some of those, those funds. Yeah. And so would you lump that into some of the biggest setbacks or what would you classify as some of the biggest setbacks we've experienced? Yeah, we, we we've definitely seen some, yeah, we've had some, some learning experiences around what it would take and what, you know, how big the obstacle would have to be to really set us back on a new product. We've, I've worked with some products that were really innovative. For instance, in, in the state of Indiana, when uh, Mike Pence uh, was, was governor and Seema Verna, the current uh, CMS director, and she was uh, working with that state, they rolled out uh, the Healthy Indiana Plan. That program, uh, we were very excited about it in the payment space because we really saw this as a way to kind of get a little bit more of that central controlling influence to make the industry move towards a much more real-time adjudication of claim. And this was in the Medicare space, excuse me, in the Medicaid space, that was going to put, it was going to mimic a lot of the consumer-directed aspects that we see in private insurance in the public space and really make members aware of the monies that were flowing through, the benefit they were receiving from their plan and the amount of money that was moving around uh, based on their decisions very innovative and we um, some hoops to jump through, but the industry was able to make it happen. It was fascinating, but it did require the providers to change their processes for a subset from in most practices, a relatively small subset of the folks walking in the door. And that was really not going to work for them. And so we had, a, we had some obstacles to uh, roll out and ultimately we didn't get the volumes to the program that we would have liked. Great product. It worked. It just, it didn't pass the adoption hurdles that we see. And a lot of healthcare innovation really struggles with that last hurdle. Yeah. And it's getting the people to use it, right? It's, it's getting the people to adopt it. And what do you think went wrong there? I mean, what could have been done differently? I'm not sure what could have been done differently. The real struggle is, and, and I think that if I had it all to do over again, I would probably start at the practice management side and work that direction because 
The consumer products, I found adoption by consumers is always a challenge. I don't want to minimize Mm -hmm. that, but I found that to be a challenge that we kind of all understood. It was a matter of member communication. It was presenting uh, and helping them to understand what it is that we're asking them to do. And, And we found that consumer adoption would go forth, but getting providers to support that, anything that required a, a different a change on their side or data to flow in at all differently or for there to be a different order of operations was a huge challenge. There were some, uh, some eligibility products that kind of went through that same, uh, that same process. Gosh, going back more than 10 years, I think, uh, on some of those pilots. Very promising. The technology was all there. The product worked. It just didn't fit into the flow because we don't check that until this point in time. And we can't change that just for 20% of the people walking the door or much less 10 or, or 5. Yeah, no, it's so interesting. And ultimately, it's the way that we get folks to adopt, right? The way that we adopt these things mm-hmm. is, is, is so critical. So what would you say you're most excited about then today, Greg? Well, I guess there's, there's quite a few products that I've been really interested in for the last six or eight years. Uh, we've seen more and more interest and innovation in the area mm-hmm. of, of incentive products. So okay. for a member of a plan, as we're trying to get them engaged in their program, we're trying to get them to reach out and provide some information to their health plan, draw up treatment where they have, say, a, a chronic illness that requires treatment or just to participate in basic wellness activities. I think that, you know, the, the health provider industry has known for a long time that an ounce of prevention, that you know, preventative, that wellness activities are preventative and improve population health. And so trying to find ways to encourage people to learn about those opportunities and participate is enormous. So some of the, uh, the incentive products, putting actual money behind or, or points or, or, or other kinds of mechanisms as well, but really trying to incentivize a member to learn about their plans, learn about the options that are available to them to take advantage of them and to see some, some rewards for that engagement, I think is very exciting because it can have a real impact on the wellness of the individual and of the, uh, the population overall. So we've seen a number of plans, both private and public plans, interestingly enough, Mm-hmm. that have innovated a lot and are providing a lot more engagement tools and then incentives for engagement. Again, trying to create that, that, this, that stickiness of a relationship where the member sort of understands where they are with their plan and what they ought to be doing next is a huge opportunity. And it's in its infancy at this point. For, for me, the point of comparison, again, back to the financial services world is, uh, is a loyalty program air miles and then points programs for your credit mm-hmm. cards. And this is about companies trying to create a relationship with their member where the member starts to invest in that relationship, tries to coordinate and, and pull their activity together in a one spot. Trying to do that in a healthcare context, I think has enormous benefits, not just that they're going to use your services or not. That's not really the axis of competition in the healthcare space, but what you do want them to do is to actually let them have them reach out, have some interaction with them, be able to direct them to a less expensive solution or to act in a a preemptive manner that's going to ultimately improve their health and also save you as the insurance companies, save you some money. Yeah, no, Greg, I think it's a a great point. And in healthcare, if you're not using the benefit, then there's usually no interaction. 
and these these mechanisms you're referring to, they're great ways to engage with a customer and not just wait when they actually need you. So you're building that relationship throughout and not necessarily just getting them at the point of care, right? That's right. By the time that they're there, they've already made some of the decisions that you would have that you would have liked to have influenced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Well, there's so much we could learn from finance in healthcare. Today was just kind of tip of the iceberg. So I'm really appreciative of you, Greg, and coming on and sharing some of these insights with us. Before we conclude the podcast today, I'd love if you could just leave us with something to think about. And then the best place where the listeners can reach out to you if something today struck a chord with them. Um, so we used to joke a lot that healthcare was a target-rich environment as we were looking for things that were inefficient that we could possibly improve with a product. Um, we never couldn't throw a stick without hitting something that we thought could be improved. And there are obviously, you know, it's, it's a lot more difficult than just uh, than spotting one of those, but it is an exciting area because, you know, fundamentally we're not just, uh, we're providing a service here that can actually improve people's lives. And so it's been a very rewarding area to try and, uh, and create some innovation and try to improve the environment for people. As far as uh, my own contact, um, the best way to contact me is through, uh, through my LinkedIn presence. So for uh, Gregory L. Bolton. B-O-U-L-T-O-N on LinkedIn. And uh, I'd be delighted to to talk further with some of your listeners. Love it, Greg. And folks, go to outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in Greg Bolton. As he mentioned, it's B-O-U-L-T-O-N. And you'll see the links to today's podcast. You'll see references. You'll see a link to Greg's LinkedIn so you could uh, get in touch with him. So with that, Greg, I want to say thanks again for spending time with us today and uh, definitely looking forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you so much. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world, though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.